Hey, this is Evan Marquette, dating coach for smart, strong, successful women, your personal trainer for love. Welcome back to the Love You Podcast, where you're gonna learn everything you need to know about dating, relationships, sex, and men from a man's point of view. And today, I have a very special guest. Uh, this is a guy I met back in Hollywood 10 years ago, who, along with his brother, has grown an incredible business. You've probably heard of it. Uh, his name is AJ Harbinger. He's one of the world's top relationship development experts. He's the co-founder of The Art of Charm. Raised by a single father, AJ felt a strong desire to learn about relationships and the elements that make them successful. He studied biology in college, went on to pursue a PhD in cancer, bio uh, cancer biology at the University of Michigan. And what started out as two grad students conversing and laughing in a basement in, in Ann Arbor has turned into a top-rated podcast and highly sought after coaching business. And when I say top rated, we're talking 3.5 million downloads a month, consistent iTunes top 50. These guys are the real deal. So after seeing an opportunity to grow the art of charm, AJ made the difficult decision to leave the lab and graduate school and take a risky leap into the world of entrepreneurship. And today he and his co-founders teach people from all over the world how to create, develop, and maintain both businesses and personal relationships. I'm very excited for this podcast and my guest, AJ Harbinger. Hello, my friend. Thank you for having me. Uh, I, I'm really excited that I was able to get you. I, I know you guys are in, in great demand, and I thought it would be special for the listeners of this podcast, uh, who number slightly less than three and a half million a month, um, to hear from a guy who specializes in helping men with their own personal development confidence and conversational skills because uh, it, certainly in my bubble, in my sphere, women don't even know that this exists and that men even care to do this. So how did you decide to become a coach for men and how? what's the sort of two minute arc of how you ended up in this place? Yeah, so much like we were talking about earlier, I was in graduate school and I kind of hit a wall where my social skills were actually holding me back. I wasn't connecting with my lab mates and I did not make a great impression on my mentor. And it ended up tormenting my graduate school experience. And we had started this podcast uh, around how to get better with women, build some confidence in dating. And we realized as the podcast started to grow, when we were both in graduate school that Oh, wow, a lot of these skills that we're focusing on, how to start a conversation with a woman, men struggle with with their coworkers, with their friends, with their family, especially men who are introverted or suffer from social anxiety. So we really tried to build out a course, the course that we had hoped we'd had in our 20s, that would allow men to become more confident, own their life, and essentially lead conversations where they wanted them, take control uh, in a lot of situations where introverts you know, feel their life is out of control. And so, uh, do you identify as an introvert? Yeah, it's what's so funny in, in doing this for so long is a lot of people will see our talks or listen to the podcast and assume that we're both extroverts and this came natural to us. When in reality, I am introverted. When I even when I work with my coaching clients, at the end of the day, I'm I'm pretty wiped. I'm pretty exhausted. Whereas extroverts tend to get energy from social interaction. I need to uh, unwind and get some solitude. So what I've been fortunate enough to learn over the years with some great mentorship and taking some personal development courses myself are the skill sets that extroverts utilize to get an advantage both in the workplace and personally. And so um, do you, in your experience, do you, do you find that the skills that you teach are gender neutral or that they're obviously you've developed a curriculum for men, but are the skills transferable to women? Is it, is it just you happen to coach men? Yeah, I definitely feel they're transferable, and I, I think my girlfriend would agree. A lot of times she asks me for, for help in situations where she's feeling a little anxious. Uh, you know, we started again in the dating sphere, and we took uh, what was a program all around flirting and, and grew the program, but our clients are still men. We've launched a couple online courses that are geared for men and women, and we're starting to realize that there is some demand from women for this, right? But again, with our perspective on things, we were really concerned that, oh, well, women tend to be extroverted and women tend to be social, so why would they look for social skills training? Um, 
Well, that that's it's funny you should say that because I end up with a, a good amount of clients, and, and part part of the reason they become my clients, or the the reason that they're struggling in relationships, is no different than these men. Uh, they get nervous around really cute guys, or they're highly competent at work, but it doesn't necessarily translate into warmth and flirtation uh, in relationships. And it, it's it, it's it's almost it feels like politics, where these these two parallel sides that are right next to each other that don't talk and don't know that they exist. Absolutely, I think that's one of the the first realizations that a lot of our clients will have on the week-long experience, we bring in females for them to interact with and try to break down that barrier. Whereas these women will often say in, in the training course that, hey, we're just as nervous when you walk over. Uh, we might seem like we're cool, calm, and collected, and you might think that because society says, oh, women talk more than men, women are more extroverted than men, that we have it all handled, but we don't either. So I definitely feel like we're trying to break through that wall so that men and women see that there's a lot more similarities in their social skills or lack thereof uh, than they like to believe. So um, you begin this as helping guys get girls. Uh, when does it start to evolve and turn into something that is broader, bigger, less about pickup artistry and more about overcoming social anxiety, building confidence, building connection with people wherever you go. Where, where did that evolution take place in you and in turn in your in your clientele? Well, I think the, the biggest step in that direction was us as co-founders getting into healthier and maintaining longer relationships. Um, you know, through our 20s, we were trying to be flirtatious and, and get better with women, but we weren't really taking relationships as serious. And then as we uh, got closer to our 30s, we got into some stronger relationships with women and we realized that these skills that we're teaching to our clients all around, hey, how do I go flirt with that woman? Well, a lot of the conversations that we have are start with us flirting. Even if it's with uh, the same sex, we have to get their interest. We have to get them to take action and, and lead whatever the conversation uh, that we're trying to have. So we realized that, wow, these skills and this social confidence that we're building in our clients get them a lot of results outside of just the dating sphere. What if we open this up to the men who are emailing us asking, hey, what if I'm married? Would this stuff work for me? Because uh, we do find that we have a number of clients who, although they're introverted and they did find a significant other and a spouse, they still lack these skills and it would help their both their relationship but also help them build social circles if they were a little more extroverted in those moments that they feel anxiety. Um, so that's when we started to open our doors essentially to men in relationships and then we realized that the podcast fan base had grown from something that was you know, about 80 to 20, 80% uh, men, 20% women to something that's now almost 50-50. Wow. That's, uh, that's remarkable and uh, you know, again, not, not, not just in, in acknowledging how universal the message is. Uh, but for things to evolve naturally, for you to change the focus of the podcast and watch the audience come and realize, oh, we're, we're only reaching half the market that we could possibly be reaching. And it w wouldn't take that much to to flip that stuff over. Again, I, I bet 90% of it would be the same. This, the same course that you teach to men, you could flip it over and it, it, it would largely work just as well. Yeah, I think the other big thing, right, when you've been podcasting for 10 years and you understand this, right, getting on a podcast, you're being vulnerable. You're starting to share your narrative and, and who you are. And if you do that uh, weekly for 10 years, your listeners will start to follow along with your journey. And our journey sort of resonated as we matured and our message matured on the show. We attracted uh, more and more female listeners who were asking us, hey, guys, do you have anything like this for us? We, we need help in the social realm. Um, I, I, I dig that. And again, the more, the more I'm learning just by listening to you today, uh, the more excited I am about evangelizing on your, your behalf. So Art of Charm, uh, the, the company, the podcast, the coaching, focuses on nonverbal communication. Uh, you and I are not looking face to face right now. We are not on a date. Uh, are we communicating well? Fairly. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think the, the reason that we talk about nonverbal communication is because it's really the one thing that we feel gets overlooked but can have the strongest impact, especially on that first impression. Uh, we all know that first impressions are important, 
but a lot of us in our mind, we think about that first impression as the handshake or, you know, what's the words that we say to get the conversation going. And we realized that, hey, if we could start fixing some of these nonverbal signals that our clients are giving off when they're anxious, uh, they could get better results in conversation. And I think that's been, uh, to a degree, part of our competitive advantage in this crowded, you know, you know, men's dating space and social skills space. Got it. So um, examples of nonverbal communication, because, again, I'm trying to apply this to the people who are listening here. It's, it's single women mostly. And I put myself in the shoes of, of, of a single woman and I... I, I sort of bifurcate them into two categories. There's the women who are really, really confident um, and they're evaluating, is this guy good enough to be my husband? And they're dissecting him like a lab rat. And then there's the women who are on the other end of the spectrum, which is, oh my God, he's, he's cute, he's tall, he's smart, he's successful, I hope he likes me, please pick me. And she gets nervous and clams up. And there's a, obviously a big range in between that. How? How do you get the women at both of those extremes, the overconfident woman who might like to talk about herself too much uh, and the underconfident woman who is completely tongue-tied, do you have advice specifically for each of them? Well, I think in, in both sides of that coin, they're, they're looking for signals of confidence and comfort from the, the man. So in that situation, when we talk about our first impression, most of what we're talking about, the nonverbal signals, are just that. How do you showcase to the other person across the room that you're comfortable in this social environment where maybe they're not comfortable, which signifies some confidence, and that you're approachable and you're having a good time? So you know these nonverbal signals that we talk about, uh, smile, eye contact, standing tall with your arms at your side instead of cross or closing yourself off. Uh, having some enthusiasm as you walk in the room and approach someone so that you actually appear that you want to be there. And then lastly, uh, allowing yourself to get closer. A lot of times we have this definition of personal space with strangers that we don't have with our friends when in reality, you know, touch is how we build trust. So we, we need to teach our clients to close that gap so that touch can happen uh, more easily and more impactfully. And I think those nonverbal signals are the same signals that you would tell to the women, right? You want them to look approachable. So uh, having good eye contact, not sort of darting around, but confidently breaking the eye contact, uh, maintaining a smile so that, you know, it seems like she's having a good time. We've all heard of that phrase, resting bitch face. Uh, a lot of our guys have that same phenomenon when they're processing something. They uh, close off their face. They look very stoic and it actually sends a signal of disinterest. Um, so I feel like those signals that we're talking about uh, help both camps. I, I would have to agree. Now, you sent me an article uh, before we before this podcast and I, and I read it and I thought it was wonderful. And uh, at, at risk of boring you, I'd like to... Uh, regurgitate some of what you what you said there because you were talking about making a, bit, a better first impression and you listed a, a handful of things that people can do to do so and I don't want to just list it I really want to take a second to talk about it could you talk about first the concept of active listening because I think that's huge and it's not a term that everybody knows so could you, could you describe what active listening is and how it makes a difference for for anybody who is uh, in the middle of a conversation especially on a date yeah, I think, again, a lot of times we are wondering while we're talking, right, is the other person following along? Are they interested, especially when it's a stranger and, and the conversation is just getting started? Uh, and as I was saying earlier, unfortunately, a lot of our clients who have anxiety, you know, they kind of close off their face and, and when they listen, they actually look like they're disinterested. So it starts, again, with that nonverbal signal of making good eye contact and allowing the person to see some warmth in your face, some emotion as they're talking to you, and then actually being engaged. And the, the concept that we talk about is uh, in order to become interesting, you have to be interested in someone. In order to be interested in someone, you have to be a good listener. And we find time and time again that the clients that we work with in person they really struggle listening because they're in their head, they're trying to think of the next best thing to say and in trying to think of the next best thing to say, they actually miss out on half the conversation that the other person's offering. So when it comes to active listening, we wanna make sure that the other person feels that they're being accepted, appreciated, acknowledged in that conversation uh, and that we're not you know, looking around the room trying to find another option to talk to or, or actively showing disinterest. And the, the fun part for us, 
uh, in teaching this course is when men start to understand the impact of listening, it actually takes a lot of pressure off of you because being a good listener allows you more freedom in the conversation. You don't have to do all of the heavy lifting if you know how to ask good questions. So we always laugh. Uh, our guys are sort of afraid of questions. They've heard some advice online that says, you know, if you ask too many questions, you become an interviewer. When in reality, it's, it's not the asking too many questions that's the issue. It's not allowing you to respond to the same question. So if you ask someone a question and you get their answer, you should be able to answer that same question yourself and they should have a good sense of what your answer is. So we talk about, you know, not just using one word responses, cool, yeah, awesome, but instead explaining why you think that's cool, why you think that's awesome. That's active listening. That's a stronger platform for the conversation to advance than just saying, oh, that's awesome or yeah, I totally agree with that. I, th I think that's wonderful. Um, and I, I, as a longtime extrovert, what, you, what, you, what you've done here is very ably reverse engineer what works, right? Like you're describing stuff that I'd like to think that I do, but I never really thought about it and broke it down in the way that you're breaking it down. Does that make any sense? Yeah, and for our guys who are introverted, they just need a little bit of a game plan. They don't need a set script. They don't need to feel forced. But if you give them uh, a simple game plan to follow, like our conversation formula, where you ask a question, you listen to their answer, and then you respond to their answer in the form of a statement yourself, uh, that allows them to very quickly pick up on these exact things that extroverts are doing all the time. So are the, uh, when, when you give someone, and, and I struggle with the same thing as a coach, when you give someone essentially a, a, a script, not a some, not rote memorization, but a, as you said, some sort of paradigm to work off of, can, can the guys ever get out of their head or are they always sort of running through the checklist of what do I say next? When does it start to flow and become organic? Well, that's the best part, right? Even our most introverted guys who come through the program, they have... A friend or two they have relationships in their life where they don't struggle to converse because they feel that they're already accepted and approved by that other person when we feel like we're not accepted or approved by the other person then that's when that introversion really comes into play and all of a sudden we lose these conversational skills the beauty of the formula is that it's it's basic it's not complicated so they're not overanalyzing and if you follow the formula twice asking a question, listening to their answer, and responding in a statement, we've found that 90 plus percent of the time, the other person will start asking you questions. And all of a sudden, you're in a conversation without overthinking it and without having to analyze each and every step. Got it. Um, do, you, do you find that women are better listeners than men? Because that's been my experience that I, I, I could be biased but I'm really indicting myself. My wife is a much better listener than I am. And she complains that I only listen to 50% of what she says. And I'm afraid she's sometimes right. Uh, is that just me speaking for myself or is there a larger gender-based difference? Well, I, I definitely agree with that sentiment. And, and what I think she's referring to is not listening to the underlying emotions. As men, we like to problem solve, fact check, get to the bottom and move on to a solution. Whereas communication has that logical layer, but it also has that emotional layer, right? Where she could be asking you, hey, do I look fat in this? And your answer is whatever you think logically is the answer. But in reality, there's an emotional side to that of, hey, can you express some interest in me? I want to know that you're attracted to me. And that's where a lot of guys miss out on that emotional listening. Sure. And in, in our course, we talk about this <clears throat> fact that, you know, Western culture, men are supposed to be stoic. They're not supposed to show emotion. We view emotion in men as almost weakness. And what happens over time is as men try to hide their own emotions, they stop listening to other people's emotions and picking up on those emotional cues that really are the important part of the conversation for all of us as human, not just women. Got it. Um, let's flip this around for a second because it was one of the other things that was in your article is talking about connecting on an emotional level. That was one of the bullet points. And because this is a podcast for women, uh, it's easy to, it would be easy to, to talk about how men are deficient in this arena because they are. But I've also noticed as a coach for women that women buy into the same societal narrative. And 
you know, because you're dealing with uh, socially anxious, introverted guys who struggle with this, I don't think women on the whole understand what it's like to be a guy and don't understand that men have emotions. Yeah, well, again, going back to that idea that men are actively trying to withhold or hide their emotions, um, it, it makes sense, right? It does. The, the question is how, because you're coaching men, I'm coaching women, and we're trying to, we're trying to build a bridge here. Um, I wrote a blog post a few weeks ago that it's now probably been a couple months once this thing airs about being lonely. And I talked about how I have everything and I've got this great wife and these, these kids and a really, really active social life. But my oldest friends from high school, college, I barely talk to them anymore. The people I have this deep history with, it's, it's, it's almost like they don't even exist. And I acknowledged a sense of, of loneliness. And the, the responses on the blog, I mean, I, I don't have things that go viral, but it got a lot of responses and a lot of shares. And, and what was sort of surprising to me was that there was, in many instances, a distinct lack of empathy from, from women. They were like, ah, suck it up. <laughs> like, <laughs> try harder, stop whining. And it was weird because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, you don't have to teach me authenticity and vulnerability. I got nothing to hide. And... I'm, again, I, I kind of have everything going, and yet I admit this one weakness, and it became a point of, of attack rather than sympathy. And it's the kind of thing that's going to make other men who are not as secure or probably shut down. Well, I, that part I absolutely agree with. I think for, from the vulnerability standpoint, right, if you were to draw out a scale of vulnerability, uh, the emotion of loneliness, the uh, the negative emotion that goes along with that is is far more vulnerable than some of these earlier emotions that men aren't even sharing, which are the positive emotions. So when we talk about connection, right, that is where there's overlap with everyone, men and women and all humans. We share the same emotions and those emotions you, unite us. And when we're talking to a person, whether it's a, a male or a female, as I was saying earlier, there's that you know, logical context and there's also that emotional context and and what we focus on is listening on the emotional level and then allowing yourself to showcase a moment in your life where you've shared that same emotion, that's really going to bind that connection that we're talking about. So uh, one of the examples that we use in, in class is me sharing the story of both having this plan for my life of going to graduate school and then how that plan would sideways on me and I didn't actually follow through and I ended up dropping out of graduate school and there are some positive emotions in there and there are certainly some negative emotions but in class when, when they're listening to my story I just asked them to pick one of those emotions that resonate with them an emotion that they really felt from my story and then simply share a time in their life that they had that same emotion and, and would, would you call that mirroring uh I don't know that it I would call it mirroring maybe, you know, people who study NLP or some of those other uh, communication viewpoints call it mirroring. But more than anything, I feel like we're, we're primed to look for commonalities. When people talk about connection, you ask them, hey, what do you connect on? They usually go, oh, something we have in common. Uh, but, you know, we want to teach our clients to be able to connect with everyone. And commonalities, although they may be very effective, usually there's very little overlap. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to connect with a stranger, Searching for commonalities could be pretty fruitless, whereas emotions we all share. So the example that I was giving, right, in, in sharing an experience, part of my narrative, part of my story, there are emotions tied to it, and I ask our clients to pick an emotion and share some of their story. And what's so interesting is at the end of this very brief moment where each student shares their story, picking an emotion from my story, you can really feel the connection in the room and I, I hearken back to earlier in the day where I asked each one of them to come up front and tell me a little bit about themselves where they actually share a lot of commonalities and they realize that wow just because I share a commonality doesn't really unite me the same way as sharing that emotion and, and hearing that emotion from someone else and that's why we really focus on that emotion as connection and now we're seeing this in you know current events how strong emotions can unite people of different backgrounds both love and, and hate sure. obviously so uh, we feel that emotional resonance is really where that connection is formed uh, well again I, I, I just I can't help but to stop and praise how you've you've 
taken something that's esoteric and turned it turned it into a science. Um, it it kind of just sets my mind reeling about. Yeah, it, it's it makes sense on a, on a logical level, but you're right. People are more likely to say, you know, did you, you know, did you see this movie on a date? Cause they're looking for something in common. Whereas, you know, you mentioned that your father died at a young age and that, you know, it's part of your story. It's part of your narrative and you're sharing a piece of your pain and something that you had to overcome. And it, it, it makes you, it makes you a, a real person, not just a set of interests that, someone else can connect to. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking about it as you say it, and it's sort of no surprise that this, this would work in many realms. It's just going one step below the surface where people, most people are content to stay on the surface. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of people that find our program uh, come to us because they feel they lack depth in their relationships. They have a lot of acquaintances, a lot of Facebook friends, but they don't have those, hey, I need to move out of my apartment. Can you help me move this couch up four flights of stairs, friends? Yeah. So in reality, it's in large part because they're not sharing their narrative. And we talk about your narrative as being made up of three parts. It's obviously your past. Those are your experiences. And uh, although we met each other at a party in Hollywood um, uh, 10 years ago, I still feel pretty comfortable sharing with you my experiences, even though we don't have you know depth to our relationship yet. Uh, and then there are these other two layers to your narrative that we tend to hide from strangers, and, and usually we even hide from our friends and family, unfortunately, and that's your present. So what are your values? What are your morals? What are your beliefs? And you know, we can take the view of religion or politics, right? We are all taught conversationally to not inject politics or religion to conversation, but in reality, they, they make up who we are. And unfortunately, what we end up doing is we just share them with people who we feel share the same views, right? We hide our political posts on Facebook uh, and only share them with our friends who share those same views. And in reality, that withholding helps us break connection. It keeps us from actually building that depth of connection that they're looking for. And then this last part of your narrative is your future. And that's made up of obviously your aspirations, but also your fears, because fears uh, can really drive us in a certain direction and can have a great impact on our future. So um, I ask a simple question of my clients, right? Uh, looking at your future, you guys are all here because of fears, fears of being lonely, fears of not having friends, not having that depth. Uh, how many people in your life know that you're here? And, and typically they'll raise one finger or maybe put up you know, a zero. No one knows why I'm here. No one knows that fear. And it's like, well, that's the answer to your question. If, if you want people to feel connected to you, you can't hide these two areas of your life from them. And, and you understand, when you understand your values and you share them with the people that you're meeting, they're going to know you at a much greater sense and they're going to be able to funnel people into your life who also share those values. And it really has this exponential impact on your network, which is why we see extroverts tend to have these large networks because people know where extroverts stand. People know, uh, of course, their experiences, but people tend to have a pretty good sense of what those people's beliefs are and extroverts tend to share and be more vulnerable and share those fears and share those aspirations. Got it. Um, I... I did a podcast on introversion and extroversion, and uh, I, I wish I had this conversation with you prior. Um, it would have been a better podcast. Um, uh, as you're talking again, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking uh, of two things. First, do you remember that New York Times article from two years ago, How to Fall in Love on a First Date in 36 Questions or something like that? Yes. It's, it sounds, again, it's obviously hokey. Um, but it sounds like it largely corresponds with the kind of conversation you're talking about. Uh, no one would ever do that. That would be too much. My wife and I did it as an experiment, but it, it was a Valentine's Day. It was just we, we had nothing else to say to each other. So we're like, all right, let's, let's take this, this out to dinner. But uh, to, could, could you remind people what that was about? It was like 36 questions of increasingly increasing intimacy that by which the end you could almost feel like you've known someone for their whole life because you would have shared so much. And is that, is that a bad idea? It's, it sounds like it's too, too much, but I can see why it's effective because it, it talks about the same things that you're talking about here. Yeah, I think if you 
actually, and hopefully a link to the article for those listeners who haven't seen this article, but the article in essence is really starting to tease out those two areas that we don't share. Um, when we go into a first date setting, we pretty frequently will share stories about our past, right? Who we are, who, where we came from. And very rarely on a first date will those stories really express vulnerability. Most of the time we're trying to put our best foot forward and impress the other person. But that's the area that we really sort of focus on is our past. Whereas your narrative is made up of obviously where you are right now and where you want to be. And when people can understand those two facets of your narrative, of course they're going to feel more connected to you. And, and these 36 questions, I just pulled them up again, they definitely delve into that aspirational side. Where do you want to be in your future? Uh, what are your thoughts and values, right? One of the questions here is, uh, would you want to be famous and why, right? If I ask you that question, I'm going to get a good sense for who you are in the present, what your values are and viewpoints are. And those are two areas that uh, we find uh, our men especially tend to hide, withhold from their peers, from their coworkers, from their uh, friends and, you know, potential mates. AJ, I got a question for you. I got a lot of questions for you, but I have one question for you. Do you want to be famous? No, I do not want to be famous, uh, which is part of the reason that I do less and less of these uh, podcasts than Jordan. Jordan uh, is more extroverted than me and, and loves the, the spotlight. And I'm, I'm very blessed that he's uh, willing to take that on because that's something that I'm not interested in. I don't want to be famous either. <laughs> um, I... I uh... It's, it's one of the, 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 the things that pulls at me all the time uh, in that I am an extrovert and I am ambitious, but it, feel, it feels like a curse. I don't like to post stuff about me on social media. I don't like to mix it up. I like, I like to keep my, my, my work public and my life private. I never mention my wife's or kids' names in anything I write. So I, I'm, I really struggle with the idea that I'm the face of my, my company uh, and obviously I want to grow, but... I have no desire to, to go into a place and get recognized. Uh, I think that would just be really weird. Yeah, and unfortunately in the line of work that we're in, right, some of that growth is, a lot of that growth is tied to more people knowing about you. And yeah. in order to do that, you have to become famous. And so how do you, how do you deal with that? I know that's a, it's a, this is a slight diversion from what we're talking about, but uh, maybe the fact that you, a podcast isn't isn't necessarily visual, you know, you're, you're, you don't become a household face. So do you get do you get recognized or when people you meet people, they hear your name they're like, oh, my God, I'm already listening to your podcast. Yeah, I've had a few of those over the uh, past couple years. I mean, in the beginning, we were uh, growing this thing, too. And, you know, probably point zero 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 one percent of the Internet had ever uh, heard of us. But as you travel in these entrepreneurial spaces, you find podcasts have obviously blown up over the last 10 years. When uh, I left graduate school, told my dad I'm doing a podcast uh, with Jordan in New York City, uh, he was very concerned as to what that even was. So I, I feel like there is a, a certain sense that yes, the podcasting has you know, garnered us some attention and uh, I'm always nervous about what attention that is going to be, right? Is it going to be positive or negative? Um, and I feel that there's there's really no getting around it because our message is that important. We feel yeah. that the impact that we've had in our clients' lives uh, has been tremendous. And these skills that we've accumulated, assimilated over the last decade have had such a huge impact in our lives. I mean, you know, being just some guys from the Midwest, uh, Johnny being from Pittsburgh and us being from Michigan, uh, you know, we shouldn't have the network that we do or be connected with the people that we are uh, based on our backgrounds, but yet we've used these skills to build a, a pretty robust network of very fascinating people. And I feel like this skill set is so valuable that even if I'm not ready for the fame that it is required to share the message, uh, it is an important side effect of getting the word out. Uh, I agree with you. I agree with every word you said. Um, I want to bring it back to our, our listeners, of course, um, and we're talking about uh, dreams, aspirations, hopes, fears, important stuff, vulnerable, emotional stuff. But I also know as a dating coach, I've gone out with enough people as a single guy and I've coached enough women who've gone out with men who are finally have a woman who's 
there to listen. She's attractive and suddenly it becomes a therapy session. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about, right? So right. Th- there's this sort of sweet spot between, hey, I'm a confident guy and this is a piece of, of who I am, where I hope to be, sort of controlling your narrative and blah, right? My ex-wife was a bitch. She took half my money. I can't stand women. Match.com is killing me. Everybody's a gold digger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Right. And he's, he's being honest. He's expressing his emotions. Um, but that backfires. And again, it, 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 that's, to me, that's cross-gender. How can we consciously help people find that sweet spot between being authentic and vulnerable and being a weak and needy mess? Well, I think the important part is, again, being that listener, being curious, and asking these questions that we were talking about is as you share your narrative – you should attempt to elicit the other person's narrative. And I feel like a lot of times these therapy sessions break out because uh, all they do is take all the oxygen in the room, right? They don't actually express any interest in the other person's narrative. So that's the one thing that we really focus with our guys is that, yeah, as you're disclosing, you should be allowing the other person that opportunity to be vulnerable too. Uh, and one of the you know more silly ways that we kind of give uh, as a training wheel is just playing the game uh, Three Truths, where you ask someone to share three things about themselves, and one of them is is not a truth, and you get to yeah, guess. Two, two truths and one lie, right? Right. Um, and it's a very simple way for our clients who kind of struggle with that: how much sharing is too much versus not enough, to give both of you an opportunity to share, so that it isn't a therapy session. So here's, here's a question that I haven't been effectively able to answer and maybe you're going to have greater insight. Very common thing when, you, when a woman goes on a date, and we can't assume everybody's done the art of charm, right? So mm-hmm. she goes on a date with a regular guy and he's a decent guy. He has something going for him. He's a little bit, little bit nervous, not, not too much. Um, and he ha- the way he sees it, consciously or unconsciously, he's got an hour and a half to impress her. So he just talks, 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 talks about his golf handicap and his bonus at work and his skiing abilities and, you know, how he did on his SATs. And right, he's sucking up all the oxygen. He's doing it sort of for the right reasons. He wants to impress her, right? But he, he can't read the room. My women, I've taught them to understand why guys do it, but they don't, it's like a train that's out of control. How do they... Stop a guy who's dominating the conversation and get things on track without making things weird. Who? Do you so know what I'm usually, talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I'm usually coming from the other side of the coin. We talk about this buyer-seller dynamic that occurs <laughs> on these situations, whether it's you're, you're meeting a potential guy friend or you're, you're meeting a girl, where we do want to impress the other person. And we want to make sure that they get a good sense of who we are. And what ends up happening is we just sell ourselves, sell ourselves, sell ourselves. Uh, when it, that actually pushes the other person away. So we would rather take the, the viewpoint of a buyer. And a buyer, what is a buyer going to do? A buyer is going to be discerning. A buyer is going to take, again, more interest in the other person. So in that situation, from a guy's perspective, we, we follow this very simple uh, 3D rule where someone asks you a question that would lead to you selling yourself and you defer to them. You just say, hey, you know, what I do is not as interesting as what is it that you said you were doing and and get them talking about themselves. Um, Then we talk about deflecting, which is uh, just, you know, playfully downplaying what it is that the question was asking. And then the third time would be disclosing. And, And when we ask our guys to follow this rule, the 3D rule, we find that we're only then answering questions where there's genuine interest from the other person. And we're not just giving away the farm and giving away all this information that they don't really care about. Because a lot of times when people get nervous, they just tend to ask us about ourselves, right? They don't know how to have a conversation. And uh, on these date scenarios that you were just talking about, right? Typically, we're both going to be nervous because we both want to put our, for our best foot forward. Uh, so it's, it's just a handy rule that we give our guys when it comes to talking about yourself so that you don't come across as arrogant. Now, again, I, I think that's really well thought out. And, and you're right. It, it may not apply to your men, but, but let, let's, let's almost step outside of our boxes for a second. Given, right, like, given the fact that this does happen with 
extroverted, overconfident, sometimes socially clueless men who just pound on their resume for, for an hour or two on a first date. Don't make the woman feel heard. Don't take any interest in what she has to say. So the women might find the guy impressive or even attractive, but it's not a good date for her. Since we can't stop these guys from existing, can you think of, on the spot, any way that a woman can turn that around and turn it into a better date without, you know, emasculating the guy? Yeah, I think the the easiest way is to call it out of, hey, I, I would prefer this not be a job interview and then look at that list of 36 questions that were given in that New York Times article and pick one of those questions. Um, I feel that, you know, both sides kind of play a part in this where, if all we're doing is asking those very, you know, surface questions, those very small talky questions, then of course we're kind of teeing it up for him to go off and drone about stuff that we don't care about, uh, that stuff that is on his resume. Got it. Um, let's take a step back uh, to the, I guess, the introverts, um, both men and women. They have what you would term social anxiety, right? They're nervous about. Uh, their first impression, how they're going to be perceived, whether they're going to get a second date, whether someone finds them attractive, whether they're going to put their foot in their mouth. What are some of your biggest tips for overcoming this common social anxiety? Yeah, I think the first part about it is just admitting it and owning it, that it is an anxiety and it's normal. And that's uh, what we try to talk about on our podcast is normalizing this. I think a lot of people uh, hear the word anxiety and it, it makes them anxious, right? It's kind of has a negative moniker to it when in reality, we all have some anxiety to not have anxiety at all means you'd be a robot, you wouldn't be human. So it's one, accepting that, okay, I have some anxiety. And then two, realizing that exposure to conversation is the easiest way to get over this anxiety. Uh, unfortunately, when you know men find us, they're, they're trying to figure out how to have that uh, amazing, crucial conversation, and they're not really focusing on how about just having you know some very simple, basic conversations with strangers first before we try to go find the most beautiful girl in the bar or go impress our colleagues at work. So exposure is a big part of what we've built into our week-long program in Los Angeles, which is the goal of talking to 200 strangers. And we find that a lot of times we have anxiety, we lack confidence because we don't have any experience. And typically the experience that we do have has some negative uh, overtones to it, right? Something didn't go your way, so now you're less likely to put yourself out there again. And we gotta work through that. So we talk about building social confidence in our guys. We talk about this cake equation. We love formulas and equations. Uh, C and cake being confidence and confidence is made up of these three components of attitude, knowledge and experience. So uh, to overcome some anxiety, we need to start believing that we are worthy. Uh, if, if we believe that people aren't interested in us, then it's only going to create more anxiety. The great part about the program is obviously we've been doing this for 10 years. So we're asking them not to only put belief in themselves, but put belief in, in AOC and the concepts that they're going to learn at the Art of Charm. And then the knowledge component is breaking down into simple steps conversation so that it's very easy for them to know where they are in the conversation and how to take the conversation in the direction that they like. And then that last, uh, we always laugh, experience points are how we level up in video games, right? Experience is how we're going to break through that anxiety that we have. Um, I dig that. Uh, and I, 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 I like the formulas and I, and I like how very common sense it is. This this. Maybe you've discovered this by, by doing as many podcasts as you have, but you talk to enough people and you see the tremendous overlap of knowledge, which is not to say that I could do your job, but this really echoes a lot of the things that I've been trying to do. You've just gone deeper on it. So I, I, love, I love what you're sharing, AJ. Thank you. I feel like a lot of the advice that we were seeking in the beginning just overcomplicated it and made us feel that we had to become someone else to make women like us, to win friends, to you know uh, impress our coworkers. And in reality, uh, a lot of what we're talking about is subtractive, right? Stripping down all of these negative attributes and stripping down all of these things that we've tried to overcomplicate. And yes, making them common sense. This is common sense. We've been doing, uh, we've been connecting with 
other humans for thousands and thousands of years. So we don't need to overcomplicate it because we're in the 21st century. What are your uh, influences? I know, I know it sounds like I'm talking to a lead singer in a rock band, but <laughs> um, you know what you're doing sounds to me very uh, uh, Dale Carnegie. It sounds very landmark education. Uh, have, have you guys done any of those things, read any other books that have c come to shape the way you do Art of Charm? Absolutely. I, we've done Dale Carnegie courses. We, we find them to be extremely beneficial. Uh, you know, Obviously, Dale Carnegie is really built towards business, and we found that a lot of the people in those classes that we were taking with Dale Carnegie were sent there because their boss had deemed that they weren't good at presentations or that they weren't uh, communicating effectively. Uh, so we kind of took the, well, hey, this is really impactful on your social life too. Uh, we love Brene Brown when mm -hmm. we want to talk about being vulnerable. Uh, so yeah, I feel like we, we have drawn some influences from those. I haven't done Landmark, unfortunately, but I, I do know a lot of their concepts around vulnerability. Uh, and then just drawing from our own lives. I, I found that uh, when my dad passed away, I kind of shut down, went even more introverted and uh, became ashamed and embarrassed of this event that happened to me that made me so depressed, made me so angry. And it only started to really change for me when I started to share this story of losing my dad and saw the me opening up and the impact that that vulnerability had on my ability to connect with other people and not seeking their sympathy uh, but instead showcasing to them that you know just because I appear one way on the surface doesn't mean that everything has been you know sunshine and rainbows. Can I share a story with you? Yes, absolutely. First of all, I want to ask when did you lose your father? I lost him eight years ago. You were how old? I was 27 years old. Uh, this is our date. I lost my dad at uh, 26. Oh, uh, man. New Year's Eve, 1998. Um, sudden, he was 53. It was uh, the equivalent of a heart attack. Um, yep. So I, I get it. And you're part, of a, you're part of a club that you don't want to be a part of. Um, but other people who are in that club get it. So I just want you to, to know that I get it. Um, yeah, I, I definitely get it. My dad was uh, same thing, heart attack, young age, and uh, sudden. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, the story I wanted to share uh, was uh, a landmark education experience that I had uh, 11 years ago. And I took the landmark forum and then their advanced class and then self-expression and leadership. And I think it was in the advanced class. And if, if for people who don't know Landmark Education, it's started in the 70s as EST. It's 100, 150 people in a room, two people up front leading this course. And it's very blunt, confrontational, holding up a mirror to who you are, what's not working in your life, challenging you to, to take responsibility for what's not working and make big changes and take action. Uh, and two things that you've been talking about today, AJ, made me think of my Landmark experience. One of them was the thing about listening where they do an exercise where you tell a story about something you're really excited about. Like me talking to you right now, I'm excited about the story I'm about to tell you. Now, if I looked yeah. at you and you were looking at your phone, I would feel like shit. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right, and that's, so when, we, when you were talking about active listening, that's what I was thinking is, you, you did this exercise where you tell a story that you're really excited about and the, your partner in this exercise is told not to pay attention to you and you see how you feel. And then your partner is told, to listen to you as if you're giving them the secret to life, right? Mm -hmm. Like, listen to this person as if they, what they're saying is the most important thing in the world, and you could feel your confidence as the storyteller swell because the person is really engaged with what you're saying. So it shows how much power the listener has over the person who's talking. So that was one thing I wanted to acknowledge uh, about why I really dig the concept of active listening, because inactive listening is so very deflating when someone's not paying attention to something you're passionate about. Um, sorry, you want to interject? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, the concept of emotional bids. I don't know if you're familiar no, with, with that concept uh, out of the Gottman Institute. Oh, yes. So the idea that you know relationships are, are really formed and then ultimately broken based on a partner's response to emotional bids. Mm -hmm. um, and in those moments, exactly, right? If, if your spouse, 
you're excited to come home from work and share a story with your significant other and your significant other is on Instagram liking a photo, uh, they're going to start to feel a little bit of resentment that you are not as engaged or willing to, to be open to what they have to share. And over time, they believe, and, and I, I believe as well, that the, uh, when we stop responding to these emotional build, bids, these, the resentment builds to a point where the relationship ends and breaks. And what we try to do there is extend it even beyond that and say, okay, you know, guys, if you want to build relationships with people, you got to start recognizing these emotional bids when they're still a stranger. <laughs> not just focusing on these emotional bids when you're in a relationship. And I definitely feel like in those moments where someone is excited to share with you and you're disengaged and you could care less, uh, it is a very deflating experience. Well, that was that was the big eye-opening thing for me 11 years ago. It's a good dovetail to the, the main story I wanted to share, which was in this big group of people, I was there because I was feeling disconnected. Uh, a lot of people there really, you know, broken families and abuse and no job. I mean, people who were really in dire straits. And you looked at what I had and I, I had a couple books and I had this business and I had a girlfriend. On, on paper, I had everything, but I was feeling really disconnected and lonely inside. So I went to this thing and I was, while I was there, I was like, a lot of this stuff doesn't apply to me. People who are afraid to take chances or express themselves, that doesn't apply to me. So I was sort of, I guess I was giving off the impression that I was being skeptical. And one or two days into it, the guy up on stage points to me from the, from the stage, tells me to stand up, and eviscerates me. I mean, just, just destroys me. Basically tells me that I think I'm too cool for school, and I think I'm above it all. And, you know, wh whether, whether it was entirely accurate or not is almost irrelevant. He called me on something that was the through line in, and was the reason that I was there. And this again, comes back to our whole conversation. He goes, you carry yourself as if you have it all together. And when you carry yourself as if you have it all together, it doesn't leave any room for people to contribute to your life, right? You're, you're, you carry yourself as if you're invulnerable, not as if you're perfect per se, but you don't let people in. Um, and I, I never considered it an act, what I was doing, but when I was trying to take stock of why did I feel disconnected from friends, family, that, that was sort of the unifying thing that I couldn't put my finger on. I wasn't sharing myself in a way that indicated that there was anything more than I've got it all together. And I see this with my smart, strong, successful women clients all the time too. They do have everything together on paper, yet they're really disconnected and lonely. And they don't share that piece of themselves when they're connecting with other people because they're trying to put forward the, the, the perfect image and people don't like perfect. So anyway, that's, that's my story. I just, I, I, I wanted to share something personal because it felt relevant to this conversation. And I think sometimes on this podcast, you know, it, it might look like I've got it all together. Um, and I, I think it just, it just does everybody a disservice if, if we don't scratch beneath the surface and, and see that we're all human and dealing with these emotions in, in, our, in our own way. So I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> well, it's a, it is a great example of that exact concept that we were talking about in that uh, when you put yourself in that situation where you look invulnerable and penetrable, then why is anyone going to put any effort or energy into establishing a relationship with you? Um, yeah, no, it's, I, I, I think it was one of those things that I had to be smacked upside the head to see it. And I think it's very hard because you're not dealing with social awkwardness. You're dealing with actually confidence that's flipped over uh, into something that it becomes a bit of a protective wall. So do you have any tips for talking about yourself without sounding arrogant? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah. Again, going back to that idea of sharing your narrative, right? There are always these moments in our life where we've, had something not work out, but we've taken a lesson from it. We've, we've learned and grown from those experiences. Those are the experiences that we want to highlight in conversation. And if we do really want to lean into a positive quality, one of the easiest ways to do that is to give credit to the mentor or the person who helped instill this quality or belief in you. Uh, the act of giving credit to someone allows you to appear humble versus uh, arrogant. Uh, which is a very simple, subtle way 
to, again, remind your listener that you have great relationships as well, impactful relationships, and you're open to those relationships, which I think kind of dovetails with what you were saying, whereas uh, sometimes we can present ourselves in such a way that, well, we don't need anyone's help. We, we are invulnerable, and then people don't feel connect, uh, connectable with us. They don't feel that there's any reason to connect with us. And I know a lot of our guys who come through the program, they are in careers where you kind of have to brag to get ahead. You want to put all of your uh, successes forward so that people recognize you. And then when it comes to socialization, they kind of find themselves in that same thing of, oh, I, well, I got to run through my resume. I have to impress this person. Makes sense. Um, uh, AJ, what, what do you see as the, the, the future focus of your work, right? You're, you're part of the art of charm. You're, you're a co-founder of it. You've got this massive podcast and you have this super robust coaching business where people go on week long boot camps. Could you just describe that? I, I, as I said before the call, I want women to know that there are men who are hell bent on self-improvement because it always, women always feel like they're the ones who are doing all the heavy lifting and going to therapy and reading books and taking courses. Could you tell me a little bit about this boot camp? Not because we're going to get any you're going to get any clients out of it, but rather just to illustrate the depth that you go to help these men become better men. Absolutely. I, I, I love doing it. I've been doing it for 10 years now, and it's been a very rewarding experience along the way, especially uh, in the humble beginnings where uh, you know we left uh, what would have been deemed a very successful path in life to try to get this word out and this message out. And essentially, uh, when we started this company, there was demand for phone coaching uh, because of our podcast. And we tried to you know, satisfy clients by just hopping on Skype and having conversations and hold them accountable and uh, weekly check-ins. But we realized that in reality, in order to get better with socialization, you have to be experiencing socialization. You can't just be passively learning it from reading it and having a phone call with someone, you need to be out there approaching people, talking to people and working through some of this anxiety that we talked about. So the course is basically designed so that you learn a concept in class. We practice that concept uh, when it comes to conversation and uh, having value and listening to other people. And then inside the classroom with coaches, feedback, and then we go out here in Los Angeles and apply these concepts in the real world, again, with coaches watching and observing and then giving you feedback the next day so that we're learning concepts, we're applying concepts in a fun space, and then we're going out in LA and enjoying uh, socializing in LA, again, getting feedback from coaches. And day one, I, I go through a lot of the concepts that we talked about today, how to effectively start a conversation with our conversation formula, how to showcase your narrative, and, and how to show genuine appreciation for other people so that uh, they feel comfortable in conversation. And, and when we talk about appreciation, a lot of guys uh, feel that appreciation uh, is simply just giving someone a compliment uh, when most of the time those compliments, especially the compliments about physical appearance, anyone can give, so they're, they're relatively meaningless. So defining what it means to appreciate someone and then we practice this conversation formula on video where we have them interact with each other first and then interact with the coach and we videotape it and then we watch the video back first with no audio. Uh, so we really hone in on those nonverbal signals and that alone is a great lesson for our guys in reading people's body language. Um, a lot of people don't understand. Did I lose you? No, I'm still here. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I cut out for some weird reason. Uh, so a lot of people don't understand that when it comes to communicating with people, they're giving off the wrong nonverbal signals, right? In our head, we think we're smiling all the time, but in reality, when we're thinking and we're deep in conversation, we are frowning, we have scrunched up our face, we're processing. So we point out those nonverbal signals on video and seeing yourself on video has a really profound impact. Uh, you can't really argue with the video, right? You might argue with what AJ thinks of you or the AJ doesn't think you're smiling, but you can't argue with you on video. Uh, so that's a very powerful day one. And then day two, we talk about you know what it means to be a high-value individual, which essentially means being cooperative, uh, looking for ways to help people instead of for taking from people. Uh, day three, we talk about, okay, how do you showcase your sense of humor? Because sense of humor kind of opens the door to conversation 
and we do some improv games, some improvisational comedy uh, games all around conversation so that our clients learn how to inject their sense of humor uh, comfortably and confidently in conversation. And then Friday, we really talk about uh, these mindsets that we have, these beliefs that we've developed over time, uh, whether it be from experience or, you know, basically these beliefs that culture has put on us that hinder us from taking action and feeling confident about ourselves. Uh, so that's very landmarky, going through these cognitive distortions that uh, we all run and we're all victim to and identifying them so that in the future we can uh, realize that a lot of these beliefs we have are not really backed uh, in reality or data, but instead they're backed by uh, the fact that someone else has told them to us or we've experienced them once. And then Saturday we focus all on building a social circle. Um, so we have a very simple model there as well, how to build a social circle, how to funnel quality people into your life. Uh, and then lastly, building that narrative. So at the end of the week, our clients not only know how to walk up to people, start a conversation, how to nail that first impression, but they understand what it means to be a cooperative person and that being high value is going to attract other high value people into your life and then how to overcome some insecurities that we all have uh, and learn how to share your story. That is some, some impressive, mind-blowing stuff, AJ. You, you run these, these uh, boot camps, workshops every week? Three weeks a month. Yeah, so we try to take one week off to one recharge and two create awesome content like this. That's uh, that's that's just astounding. Uh, how many graduates graduates have you had go through this program? Uh, we're right around two thousand graduates in the ten years that we've been doing it. And uh, you charge a premium price point for that. These are people who are, you know this isn't a ninety-seven dollar product. This is a, a what an eight thousand dollar week. Yeah, they're, they're staying with us in Los Angeles. We have a, a beautiful house here that the clients stay with us in, so accommodations are provided, and then they're getting a lot of hands-on experience, and uh, we take care of them as well here in L.A. so that they have a very enjoyable experience as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, uh, not, <laughs> not diminishing the value at all. I'm just saying that, that to me that shows how bad these men want the results that you're, you're promising to give them. Um, you know the amount someone pays really says something about uh, about their desire, and so the fact that you can command these these prices for men who want to make better connections, I think, says a lot about about you and about these men. I also feel like at this point, social skills are becoming more and more valuable, uh, especially as our clients have moved into upper management and tried to really advance their career, and and they realize that. If they can't communicate effectively with their boss or their peers, uh, they're going to struggle to get ahead. And that's a lesson that I learned in graduate school uh, the hard way. So I'm very fortunate now that I can help our clients overcome these pitfalls without losing their job or, or feeling like they're an imposter. Well, AJ, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Is, is there anything specific that you'd like to to, to plug or any link you'd want people to go to to learn more about you and the Art of Charm? Yeah, I think if you are looking to brush up on your social skills, you should definitely check out theartofcharm.com slash toolbox. Those are all of our toolbox episodes where we break down how to get over social anxiety and put your best foot forward, communicate effectively. Uh, and then if you are interested in challenging yourself, we have a Facebook challenge group with 30 days of social skills tests. Uh, that's both men and women, and it's a very supportive private Facebook group that we've built around these challenges so that we can, again, allow you to break through a bit of that anxiety and start working on your confidence and communication skills. I love it. And uh, that's w women can do that as well as men, or, or is it uh, does, those? Absolutely. Men? men and women are in the challenge, and that is at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. Got it. Um, amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, I'm going to have those those links put up on my website so people could easily access them. Uh, I want to thank you for giving me this time. Uh, and I, as I said earlier, I, I sincerely would love to come to one of your Los Angeles boot camps. I, I'm, I'm about probably 35 minutes away from from West Hollywood, where I used to live. And uh, I, I don't, you know, I. I don't know if I'm, I'm going to pay eight grand for it, but I would definitely like to see what you do in person if, if that's okay. 
Yeah, I would love to have you swing by on a week when we have clients. You can meet our guys and and check out what we're doing in LA here. It's been a lot of fun and uh, we love welcoming other coaches who are fighting the good fight, helping people improve themselves. Well, I'll I'll engage you privately about that. But again, I want to thank you so much for being here um, and being being game and and going off script. Uh, It was really enjoyable to just let this conversation unfold as it did and listening to you. I hope I, I, I become a better listener, coach, uh, podcast interviewer uh, based on our conversation. I, 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 really, I really take everything you said quite seriously. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a challenge to me to learn to do better than I'm already doing. <laughs> well, I appreciate the kind words and the opportunity to share this with your audience. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome, man. Uh, I want to, uh, again, thank, thank uh, AJ for being here. I want to thank uh, everybody who's listened to us for the past uh, hour. For joining me on today's Love You Podcast, my name is Evan Mark Katz. Next week, I'm going to explain to you the male dating timetable, what it is, how it affects you, and what you can do with it to choose a better partner. So tune in. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Check, check me out on YouTube. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter. And best of all, go to www.evanmarkkatz. Take my quiz about your number one relationship challenge. It's right there on the homepage, and I will help you get the love that you deserve. I'll see you again next week on the Love You Podcast. Bye.